Uh, here are details of some forthcoming programmes. Saturday you will be able to hear the first of a new series of pop programmes for the over-70s called Ready, Steady, Can't Go. <laughs> Housewife's choice for the next three weeks, Alan Freeman will be playing Housewife's Request and washing their smalls. <laughs> Meanwhile, for those of you who are more easily pleased, here's 30 minutes of implausible claptrap as we take you round the hall. The story so far. Lovely geisha Bill Pertwee. She of the almond eyes and pickled walnut nose. Toyed idly with her egg foo young. Played with amazing dexterity by sweet and sour Hugh Paddock, <laughs> without the aid of chopsticks. Beside her, sitting in a sampan, was her father, wizened, parchment-faced old Mandarin Betty Marsden, <laughs> stroking her drooping moustaches. Meanwhile, in the bathhouse of the August moon, lovely, wanton Kenneth Williams received, <laughs> received a strange phone call. Picking up the phone, she fainted dead away. <laughs> She heard the grisly warning of the tong. Hello, this is Kenneth Tong. And that, I may say, was Douglas Smith, who appears by permission of the Tel Aviv branch of the Big Ben Gurion Banjo Band. <laughs> now, here are the answers to last week's quiz. The answer to question one well, of course, you pull it. <laughs> Those of you who suggested you pour custard over it were just being silly. <laughs> Question two, what were the sounds? Well, now, the first sound you heard was a bread pudding falling from a high building onto Alvar Liddell. <laughs> and actually, the only one of you who got it was Alvar Liddell. <laughs> the other sounds were a truffle in pain, a chub fuddler fuddling his chub... <laughs> And uh, the last one was, of course, a group of nudists sitting down in a plate of raspberry fondant. <laughs> well, now, uh, to business. Friar Wacker Biscuit Day has come round again. And people all over the world are celebrating the death of the medieval German monk who invented the hip bath or Wiener Schnitzel, as it's sometimes called. And before his invention, people had walked about with dirty hips. Although, of course, there'd been other bars before the good friar came along. There were foot bars for people with dirty feet, bird bars for people with dirty birds. <laughs> the um, original bath was, of course, Roman in origin. In fact, Nero used to spend all day in the bathroom, and this used to irritate his wife, Doris. <laughs> who couldn't get to the sink to rinse out her toga. Well, eventually she thought of a way to get him out of the bath. She shouted through the keyhole to him, Oi, Nero, you want it on the phone? <laughs> well, well, of course, he leapt out of the bath and ran downstairs to the hall, dripping wet, only to find that phones hadn't yet been invented. <laughs> and this made him so irritable that he set fire to Rome. Um, anyway, where was I? Said he, finding his place. Oh, yes, yes. The uh, Friar Wacker Biscuit story, part two. Having invented the hip bath, the good friar found that people needed implements to wash themselves with. He hit upon the sponge, but he found that was impractical, as all that happened was that you got jam all over you. <laughs> uh, 
And besides, after being used in the bath, it became too soggy to eat. Now, fortunately, a colleague of his in the monastery, a brother Martin, came up with a startling idea, a sort of elongated tool for scrubbing your back with, and this was named after him the Martin Luther. <laughs> well, it may not be very funny, but at least it's clean, isn't it? And now... And now to a new feature. The BBC, as a democratic organisation, believe that minority groups, however small, should be allowed to voice their opinions. So, this week we have with us a fanatic secret sect who call themselves the Shuddering Brethren, with their leader, Mr... Um... Grant Fattock. <laughs> Grant Fattock. Yes. Um, J.P. old Grant Fattock. Grant Fattock, I am the grand, exalted, high-worshipful shudderer. And what, uh, what does your sect actually do? We sh shudder. Uh -huh. <laughs> These are my faithful acolytes. This here is Brother Catamole. Give him the secret sign, brother. Uh, very well, Brother Grant Fattock. There's nothing secret about that. Uh, well, it has a special significance for us. Oh, does <laughs> You notice that he's wearing the ceremonial regalia, viz a greasy Mac bowler hat, and carries a ceremonial jewelled ball cock, <laughs> which, together with the yogi bear bath toy and a packet of crisps, are the emblems of his eye office. That of Grand Masterful Knee Wobbler. Oh, is that a very privileged position? Oh, yes, brother. It entitles him to first sip of the ceremonial brown ale, which is borne round the brethren by Mrs. Stubbins here, our high priestess. Give Mr. Orme the fraternal greeting, Evadne. Hello, cheeky face! <laughs> Lodge, at the lodge meetings, she always sits on my right hand. <laughs> that has a certain mystical significance. Yes, well, I'd sooner not hear about that. And, um, and who is this, this freakish pantaloon wearing nothing but antlers and carpet slippers, covered in wood and carrying a trombone? What's his function? I don't know. I thought he was with you. Oh. <laughs> well, Mr... Um... Grunt Fattock. Grunt Fattock. It's a Saxon name. Oh, not Norman. No, Saxon. Yes, I had it wrong. It describes what my ancestors did for a living. You mean like Smith or, or Baker? Yes, I had an ancestor who actually was Grunt Fattock Royal to King Ethelred the Unready. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, I always thought Ethelred grunted his own fattocks. <laughs> Well, at least that's how, he, uh, that's how he's always depicted in engravings uh, that I've seen. It's a, nasty, it's a nasty smear put about by William the Conqueror. Uh, he'd say anything, you know, to make me look a fool. Oh, but I digress, I digress. I believe you would like to be the first man to witness the secret initiation ceremony of the Grand Order of Shudderers. I can hardly contain my indifference. <laughs> Very well. Shudderers, to your places. Let the initiation commence. 
Scrooge Master, blow the giant ram's horn. Yes, worshipful Shudder, it shall be blown forth. Let the Scrooge counting commence. Right. Steady, steady, fourteen all, bring forth the grummet. The grummet shall be brought forth. <laughs> what say you, grummet bearer? Uh, be there Nadjo's present. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> there be no Nadjo's among Shudderers, stout and true. <laughs> then lower your scroll. <laughs> yes, let them be lowered. <laughs> Fellow shudderers, have your scrolls been lowered? Aye. Aye. Many, many times. <laughs> Many times. Now shut your gob. <laughs> Waits there a novice quiverer for admission. I am a novice. <laughs> I am a novice quiverer of scrutinised grammets and honest scrow. And dost thou, attending upon us, wait without? Yea, I am without. <laughs> well, hard luck, mate. Come back when you've got some. <laughs> Well, that's given you a glimpse of the activities of the Shuddering Brethren, and questions have been asked about them in Parliament lately. Some people feel that they should be stopped. But it's very difficult to stop them, as nobody has the faintest idea of what they're doing. <laughs> Except that it's rather noisy and smells of singeing feathers. <laughs> right, Smith, Smith, uh, stop trying to sell Edwin Braden those photographs and make the announcement. Oh, sorry, sir. They're just some candid snaps I took on my holidays last year. Oh, good. In Portside. Afterwards, I'll see. <laughs> now, bearing in mind the current crop of spy stories, we bring you one to end them all, I sincerely hope. More dangerous than Danger Man, more vengeful than the Avengers, more intriguing than the Epcrest Files, sexier than Bond, more intelligent than the Intelligence Man. Oh, take a gold finger out and get on with it. <laughs> Round the Horn proudly presents counter-agent Kenneth Horn in The Spy Who Came In With A Cold. My name's Kenneth Horn, licensed to kill and sell tobacco. <laughs> it all started, as most of these parodies do, in my luxury penthouse above the horsemeat shop in Dalston. <laughs> I just finished a case and I sat there idly contemplating my bulging dossier and toying with a finely chased goblet of fruit salts. I gulped it down and sat there ruminating. 
I had a feeling that something was going to happen. <laughs> and then... Hello, Cathy Kirby speaking. It's all right, Horn. Uh, you can drop the disguise. Uh, this is Haverstrap here, intelligence. Uh, Richard Dimbleby's disappeared. We think he's defected. Oh, surely not. Perhaps a little overweight, that's all. <laughs> I want you to get over to HQ right away. The chief wants you to go after him. There was no time to waste. I threw off my bathrobe and my pyjamas and my balaclava helmet and my Wellingtons and my Macintosh and my woolly chest protector and my cardigan and leapt out of bed. <laughs> From the wardrobe, I selected a pepper and salt suit, a mustard waistcoat and my soup-stained tie, which I tied in a brown Windsor knot. <laughs> Pausing only to wait for a cheap laugh, I hailed... <laughs> I hailed a passing music link and told them to get me to Whitehall as fast as possible. Has Horn arrived yet, Miss Golightly? No, Colonel Brown Horrocks. Well, as soon as he arrives, show him in. Yes, sir. Oh, by the way, the PM's on the scrambler. Oh, is he? Well, as soon as he comes out, ask him to phone me. <laughs> now then, now. Where's that man, Horn? Link just drawn up outside. There's a man getting out. It's Horn, sir. Oh, it's splendid. We can't afford to waste any more time. Ah, Horn. Ah, Brown Horrocks. Now, let me fill you in. Right. Dimblebill. <laughs> Dimblebill's disappeared. We suspect he's been kidnapped and smuggled behind the iron curtain. Why should they want Dimbleby? Good heavens, man, isn't it obvious? You must have seen his panorama. It's one of the biggest things on television. <laughs> that is enormous weight. And it goes on tomorrow night. You realise the implication. Of course, without Dimbleby, the British way of life is finished. Precisely. And it's not just panorama, it's the state occasions. With Dimbleby gone, nobody important can get married or die or have children. <laughs> it's mean anarchy. And the news hasn't broken yet? No, top security. We've taken what measures we can to keep it from the public. A team of makeup experts is at work at this very moment, tarting up Judith Chalmers to double for him. <laughs> Well, it's an old trick, but it might work. Well, what else can we do? Things are desperate, Horn. Only you can save Britain. What have we got to go on, Brown Horrocks? Only this. It's a message from our agent in Tangier. It says, Spotted Dick in Tangier. Oh. So we want you to go out there straight away and bring him back. Uh, incidentally, you'll need this special equipment. Here, it's a pen which writes under curry. And here, a plate of instant curry to write under. <laughs> A spare pair of socks with a secret compartment in the heel and mock leather briefcase containing a pair of mock leather briefs. <laughs> Five pounds in foreign currency, a three and six penny luncheon voucher which can only be used at Ellie Ben Hassan's kosher delicatessen. <laughs> uh, right. Good luck, Horn. And with that, the interview was over. Brown Horrocks gave me a curt smile of dismissal. Then he tightened his lips, puckered his nose, screwed up his eyes and flung them into the waste paper basket. <laughs> I hurried to London Airport where a few bars of appropriate music waited to convey me to Tangier. Excuse me, excuse me, Arabian passerby. Uh, can you direct me to the nearest British secret agent? Oh, yes, Effendi. Proceed along the street of a thousand keyholes. Uh, past the bazaar of ten thousand delights. Uh, turn, turn right at the pie shop of a million flies. And... 
And you will find Ali Ben Hassan's kosher delicatessen beneath the sign of the swinging matzo ball. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And, oh, here, take this for your trouble. No, oh, oh, thank you, kind master. Thank you. A kick in the ankle, just what I've always wondered. <laughs> set off at a brisk dog trotter. A dog beside me set off at a brisk horn trot. And soon we were happily trotting along cheek by jowl. It was an unusually tall dog as it happens. Soon I was at my destination. I lounged nonchalantly against the bars. The barman sidled up to me. Yes, Effendi. Oh, bring me a tankard of one of your native concoctions. Certainly, Effendi. Here. Mmm. Mmm, delicious. What is it? It is me. It is a drink made from a local fruit and processed to a syrupy sweetness by the addition of certain fragrant herbs and aromatic spices. We call it Kul al Rabat Rakat Lahum. Mmm. What's that in English? A syrup of figs. <laughs> I had a feeling that all was not well. <laughs> call it sixth sense, call it what you will or whatever you're allowed to, but uh, I realized that my drink had been tampered with. I swayed dizzily and then I plunged into oblivion. And when I came to, I found myself on a bed in a room. From somewhere nearby came the elusive smell of musk, tempered with fish paste. <laughs> a figure leant over me. It was the dreaded Dr. Chu N. Ginsburg. He spoke. Sir, Mr. Special Agent Hahn, we meet at last. Where am I? Halfway down page 14. Oh. <laughs> In a disused zip fastener factory moored five miles off the coast of Africa. You'll never get away with it, you inscrutable twit. Oh. What have you done with Dimbleby? He is downstairs in my private laboratory. I am conducting an experiment with him. I am going to remove his brain and transplant the brain of a chimpanzee. Then I am going to send him back to England. Superficially, he will be the same. But he won't be able to think like a human being. He will be incapable of a reason or judgment. It'll never work. Well, it did with Bernard Levin. <laughs> but you're mad. I'm not mad. You're mad. I'm mad. I'm not mad. Then call me mad. That's what they called me at school when I was at Rodine. <laughs> Rodine's a girls' school. I know. I'm not that mad. <laughs> Always different from the other boys. I was always good at science, cloth bleeding, different species. I once cloth bled a goat and a budgery gar. They said it couldn't be done, but I did it. I called it a gudgery goat. Oh, great yellow airy thing he was. <laughs> Used to flap about the place butting people. Ah, ah, they all laughed at me, except the gudgery goat. Got no sense of humor, those creatures. I swore revenge. I'm going to turn all the world's leaders into chimpanzees. You made a good start already from what I've seen. But you can't do it with Dimbleby, it's treason. Who is going to stop me? I am. This perfectly innocuous-looking sword I'm holding in my hand, in fact, contains a walking stick. <laughs> One false move and I shall hit you on the knee with it. No lies, no lies, I know, and I am beaten. But you haven't heard the last of Dr. Chu N. Ginsburg. M.A. failed. Goodbye. <laughs> that he leapt out of the window, signed a contract to appear in his own series on BBC Two, and was never seen again. <laughs> My job was finished, Dimbleby was released and flown home in time to give a ball-by-ball -ball description of a vital polo match at Cowdery Park, and England could breathe again. But what of Ginsburg? We in MI5 do not yet know how far his fiendish scheme has progressed. Somewhere, somehow, 
his devilish work may be going on. So next time you go to the zoo, give the chimpanzee a banana or two. After all, he may be our next prime minister. <laughs> and now the Fraser Hayes form of the song to make you whistle with disbelief as they sing a track from their new LP, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, live at the Dog and Duck. The Fraser Hayes Fall. Deep in the night I climb the stairway to the sea And pretend you are there beside me So close beside me Watching the sea I see us there upon the stairway to the sea Where the mist softly kissed to lovers Hiding from others Our love by the sea But till that day how memories can burn This is my prayer upon the stairway to the sea That you soon will be there before me Whispering adore me There by the sea Why try to find a new love when your voice Keeps calling me I'm just a lonely prisoner Up the stairway to the sea There you'll find me waiting For the day of your return Until that day how memories can burn This is my prayer upon the stairway to the sea That you soon will be there before me Spring adore me there by the sea. There by the sea. And now, trends. Fashion. Cat suits are going to be the thing this season. Well, my cat's been wearing one for years. <laughs> There's a new one-piece undergarment currently on the market. It's made of unboned, flesh-coloured nylon. Sort of filleted corset, I suppose. <laughs> For men, showing an exciting new colour range. With his whisky-coloured raincoat, he's showing a shocking pink gin sports jacket and a pair of disgusting brown ale trousers. <laughs> a well-known clothing manufacturer and ventriloquist, Peter Bruff, is marketing a new sports jacket. He's called it the Archie Andrews line. It has a vent up the back. <laughs> Trends in the cinema. Bad news for lovers of foreign films. If you live in the provinces, you won't be able to see Fellini's Eight and a Half. Owing to censor trouble, it's been cut, and it's now Fellini's Six and Seven Eighths. <laughs> My 
Michael Chaplin is remaking his father's old silence classic, Easy Street. <laughs> News on the television scene. Following the demise of not so much a program, many people are wondering what has become of the regular members of the cast. John Bird will be appearing in his own radio show, Beyond Our Kenyatta. <laughs> Trends and travel. This year, more visitors than ever before are coming to London. So here for the would-be tourist are some useful tips on what to do and where to go. Uh, this month, London is in a holiday mood. To celebrate the coming of summer, British railways are decorating Paddington Station with a completely new coat of grime. <laughs> see London, see me side. Visit the world's largest doss house on the embankment, where pitiful shambling victims of social inequality gather to sleep away the daylight hours. It's called the House of Lords. <laughs> but there's another side of London, too, a modern go-ahead side. In many respects, London is the mecca of fashion and style. For the well-groomed man, there's a new hairdressing establishment opened in Chelsea. It's called Bona Buffon. It's a sort of clip joint. <laughs> I popped in there the other day for a trim. Hello? Anybody there? Come in. Je suis Julien. This is mon ami Sandy. Hello. It's Mr. Horn, n'est-ce pas? Oh, yes. You remember us, don't you? Yes, you're vividly etched on my memory. I just uh, popped in for a haircut. Oh, it's a bit like shutting the stable door after the horse is gone, isn't it? <laughs> Hardly worth his taking his hat off for, is it? Well, right. In the chair, Julian will take you. He tortures the rye. Lovely. He's got the fingers for it. Oh. <laughs> Hands of an artist. Oh, good. When he's done that, would you ask him to do my hair? Oh. <laughs> he's very bold. Yes. Very bold. As a billiard ball. Mm. <laughs> now, uh, style do you think I should have? Well, I mean, you're a bit limited, aren't you? Mm. I mean, you don't lend yourself to the shaggy look, do you? <laughs> no, you haven't got the wherewithal. Oh, he hasn't. He hasn't no. got the wherewithal. No, no, let's face it. I mean, look, I mean, he's got more hair in his ears than he's got. <laughs> no, no, the best we can do with what you've got on top is to huff on it and give it a quick once over with a duster. <laughs> What do you think about the sides, though, Sam? We might do something shush for the sides, eh, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> he's got the ears for oh. all. Yes, good ears he's got. Mm. They nearly match, too. Yeah. <laughs> but his nape. Oh, yes. I mean. What can you do with a nape? It's a naff nape. It's a naff nape. No, what can you do with a nape? No, the best we can do is to backcomb his eyebrows. <laughs> How do you think he'd take with the bouffant eyebrows? Oh, fame. Mm. fame. Or, or you could have flick-ups with a blue wince. Trey distingue. Very, that's oh. true. Uh, no, no. No, I think all in all, his best plan is to have a toupee. Have a toupe. The hard front toupe, you mm. see. Indistinguishable from the real thing. We make them for all the stars, you know. Mm. Old Jimmy Savile, wears one of ours. We didn't make it for him, made it for Kathy Kirby, but she lends it to him in exchange for a plug in the <laughs> Beautiful job. Made it out of dusty Springfield's clippings. Oh, <laughs> job. I mean, they all come in here for their wigs, don't true, they? True, true. There's Mick Jagger. Mm. Uh, Edwin Braden. Know him, great airy thing. <laughs> Ringo Starr. Let's see what wigs we've got in stock. Show him the wigs, Julia. Yes. Now, um, could I interest you in a flame red shoulder length wig? Well, not me, but you might interest the chief of police. <laughs> He's been sarky. I thought so. <laughs> 
pH to him, Jules. Yes, there is. Well, let's face it, you've got to overlook it. I mean, he's at a funny age. Oh, well, do you want an Irish or don't you? <laughs> Irish jeans. Yes, I know, I know. Yes, I must admit, uh, a wig might do something for me, but the prices always put me off. I mean, they're rather expensive, aren't they? If you have your real hair, that comes out about 75 guineas. Then you have your nylon washable at 20, or your horse hair at about 15. <laughs> I wouldn't advise your horse hair. If you go out in the rain with it, you come home looking like Ken Dodd. <laughs> For 15 quid, it's quite reasonable. Still, still too dear. Oh, what can you do with him, sand? Oh, it's great. Just give him a sack full of sweepings and a tube of glue and let him do it himself. <laughs> I'm just sick. No, I, I'd really much sooner stay as I am. All I want is an ordinary haircut. Right, pass the clipper, Jules. Oh, all done. That'll be 33 and 6. <laughs> what? 33 and 6 just for a haircut? Oh, no, no. It's only 3 and 6 for the cutting of the hair, the 30 shillings of the search fee. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that brings us almost to the end of the show. All that's left for me to do is to announce the winner of the Limerick competition. And the winner is Mrs. Nancy Perry, Hockington House, Willingdon, Eastbourne. And this is the Limerick. A cockney was pushing his barrow through Battersea's streets wide and narrow, and the lolly he made by the tricks of the trade got both of his sons into Harrow. And the next competition begins with the following two lines. Two nudists who lived at Foots Cray went out for a picnic one day. I'll repeat that. Two nudists who lived in Foots Cray went out for a picnic one day. And all you have to do is complete the limerick suggesting one of the many risible things that might have happened to them. <laughs> Answers, please, on a postcard to Round the Horn, care of the BBC, London W1. And to the sender of the winning entry goes this week's prize, which is a horse's hoof made out of an inkwell. Cheerio. See you next week. <laughs> That was Round the Horn, starring Kenneth Horn, with Kenneth Williams, Hugh Paddock, Betty Marston, and Bill Pertwee. On the musical side, you heard the Fraser Hayes Four and Edwin Braden and the Hornblowers. The script was written by Barry Chalk and Marty Feldman and produced by John Simmons. <laughs>